All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Sticks? How are you? This is Mark Marin. I'm sitting naked in a hotel room in New York City. That's how. That's where I'm at. I know I've been doing this occasionally. I've been doing the naked shows. I know I'm doing that. But here, it's a little less weird. I'm not in the garage. I'm safe in a motel room with the windows wide fucking open. How are you, New York City? Look at me. Oh, see, there's someone waving across the way who's doing a job of some kind. This is going to be the best and biggest part of their day. Hello. What? You want me to turn around? Have a look at that. Ha. Uh, they went back to work. Look, folks, that, that was a joke. Maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I'm just going to let you have your experience. I'm, who, who am I to deny you of that? What am I talking about? I'm in New York City. I ha- I've had a great time here. But let me let me give you a little set up today's episode, and then we'll talk about New York City a little bit, okay? Uh, I had some things to do uh, while I was in New York City. I'm here with somebody. I'm, I might be ready to talk about that. I, I'm, I'm going to think about it while I do this other stuff. A lot of things going on on a lot of levels in my head right now. First of all, I'm naked. I'm in New York City. It's chilly here. There's someone in the bathtub right now while I'm talking. See? Now, now the plot thinkens, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh-huh. Why am I, th- why am I ecstatic sounding? Well, you know, I, I am. I am. But wait, let's talk about the episode. It's an unusual episode in the way that uh, there's no fucking way you would ever know how this happened. <laughs> That's, that, that I can tell you for sure. My guest today is David Bronner. And I'm not going to say anything right now. What I want you to do right now, if you could, is picture yourself at someone else's house and here's what's just happened. You're at someone else's house. Maybe you're a little uncomfortable, uh, but you, you know, you gotta, you know, you have to go to the bathroom and you have to, and you have to do that one. Not, you know, not the easy one, but the harder one to do at someone else's house that you don't know. So you're like, you go, hey, is there, hey, can I use a restroom? And they're like, yeah, it's just uh, down the hall. It's the first door on the thing. Okay, whatever. So you go into the bathroom, picture this. All right, I'm leading you through a guided meditation now. You're on a toilet. You're on a strange toilet. And you're a little uncomfortable in your environment because it's not your environment. You're on a strange toilet because you had to do what you had to do. You're in a house, perhaps a friend's house, perhaps a strange house, perhaps a bathroom, at, let's say at a, an old style food co-op. Let's go with that. That's the guided meditation. You're in a bathroom at a food co-op, uh, the style of food co-op that might have been popular in the 70s. There's still a few around. If you can't picture it, generally, there's a lot of bin food. There's a lot of stuff in bins. There's things you didn't know existed. You, you know, like, I never knew there was lentil flour, that kind of thing. That's what you've been going through. Do you think these, uh, these dried fruits are good? They, they seem that they've been out for a while. I'd, I've never even heard of this spice. There's an awful lot of it in that jar. Hey, something smells weird in this corner. Do you know what it is? It can't be. That's, is that something going bad or is that something they eat? They meeting the hippie people. All right, so it's one of those stores, and you got to go to the bathroom. Perhaps you just had a smoothie and didn't think it would happen so quickly. So you're in the bathroom. All right, you choose the bathroom of what strange situation. But here's the deal. You're on the toilet, you're doing your business, and you're reading this. Absolute cleanliness is godliness. Teach the moral ABC that unites all mankind free, instantly, six billion strong, and we're all one. Quote, listen, children, eternal father, eternally one, unquote. First, if I'm not for me, who am I? 
Nobody. Second, yet if I'm only for me, what am I? Nothing. Third, if not now, when? Once more. Unless constructive, selfish, I work hard perfecting first me. Absolute nothing can help me. Fourth, only hard work, God's law, can save us. But if we teach only our clan, we're all hated then. So we must teach friend and enemy, the whole human race, the full truth, hard work, free speech, press and profit sharing, moral ABCs, all one God faith, lighting like six billion strong, for we're all one or none, all one God faith, as teach the African shepherd astronomers, Abraham and Israel, for 6,000 years since the year one. What the fuck? You're in a strange bathroom, and you've chosen to pick up that bottle of Dr. Bronner's soap to see what the fuck is on that label, and that's what goes in your head. That was my first experience with Dr. Bronner's soap. What is this shit in this person's bathroom? I knew my friend said his mom was weird, but what is this magical soap shit? And then you try to read the rest of the label, and there's something about it. You don't know what the soap is or whether it's special or whether it's weird or what but you do know that there's a good chance that the guy who wrote this is some sort of whack job how could this be available at a store i don't even understand it but it seems to have intensity it seems to have purpose there seems to be a mission behind this soap what is this shit and then you read on fifth whatever unites mankind is better than whatever divides us yet if absolute unselfish I am not for me, I'm not but classless, raceless, starving masses, never free nor brave. Only if it constructive selfish, I work hard protecting first me, like Arctic owls, penguin, pilot, cat, swallow, beaver, bee. Can I teach the moral ABCs? All one God, faith, that lightning-like unites the human race, for we're all one or none, all one. Holy shit, what does this soap do? What does this soap do? I don't know what your experience is. That's the end of the guided meditation. So wipe and get up. Point is, I had an opportunity to interview David Bronner, who is the grandson of uh, the original Dr. Emmanuel Bronner. And I had seen, yeah, I use this soap. I use it for a lot of reasons. There's a couple different kinds of Bronner soap. You can get the almond soap. You can get the tea tree oil soap. This isn't a, I'm not plugging Bronner's. I'm talking about my experience. Look, the first time you masturbate in the shower with peppermint Bronner's, you think like, this is not a good idea. Is this going to go away? Second or third time, you're like, I'm in. This is the way this is going to have to be now. I hope a vagina holds up and can get this tingly. That's a joke. So David Bronner, I, I, was, uh, I was approached by a guy who works for Bronner's who said I could set you up with David Bronner. And I'd seen a movie about, uh, I'd seen a movie uh, called Dr. Bronner's Magic Soapbox, which is David Bronner's uncle, who was Emmanuel Bronner's son, did this crazy movie really talking about his father, uh, Dr. Emmanuel Bronner, who was quite a character. Was he a manic depressive? Was he a lunatic? He was uh, like a, a, a soap maker from a, you know, a, a legacy of German soap makers. It's just a fascinating thing. And he had this vision. He had this vision, which he put on the labels of this soap. I just had this opportunity to interview David Bronner. And I'm like, I want to know about his grandfather. I want to know about the fucking soap. I want to know about the goddamn label. I want to know what the hell was going on here. It seems like a good idea, but it also seems with, with a slight variation, the same kind of shit that my father could write on a good day if he had a vision. 
So that's what this episode is about. This episode is about the the, the sort of legacy of of uh, many generations of of soap makers, the vision of Dr. Emmanuel Bronner as carried out through his family, and where the business is now, and 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 how it you know the evolution it took, and how it's in this you know now I guess first, second, third generation of of this. Uh, of the of the Dr. Bronner soap with it we know. I I was just obsessed and fascinated with the fucking label and I was thrilled thrilled to uh to talk to David Bronner and uh I hope you enjoy it. I do, I do hope you enjoy it. So I'm in New York City. I flew out to New York City and um I flew out here with uh with the <laughs> Oh boy. I flew out here with uh, Moon Zappa, okay? All right? It's out there. That's what's happening. All right? That, she's my Valentine. All right? Some of you called it. Some of you knew it might happen. All right. So there you go. You happy? You're right. We're having a lovely time. I had some work to do, but we decided, look, you know, I, I wrapped my show. I could use a break. Uh, you could use a break, I said to her, I think. Or maybe she said it to me. We decided a mutual break was in, in line, and we did it, and we're here, and uh, it's been fun. We've been doing things. She's making me do things like cultural things and, you know, and, and being pleasant and uh, opening my heart and uh, and talking about what's on my mind emotionally without yelling. There's there's been tears and joy and all kinds of things that are the good parts of, of being with somebody and uh, finally relaxing into a adult relationship. Uh, it's been kind of fascinating and uh, I'm kind of uh, kind of leveled by the whole thing. And trying to keep my shit together. And I look, I don't even know why I'm telling you guys this. I just think you should know it. And uh, uh, well, I'm not going to go into detail. How's that going? Is that all right? Is that enough, you think? I think that was good. You think that was good? Yeah. Are you out of the bath? Yeah. Okay. So we're in New York. And what have we been doing? I saw Wolf of Wall Street. And if you didn't like that movie, I think you missed a point. That's all. I don't know what the controversy is. I've not read any of the backlash about the movie, but it was a great movie. I was thrilled to be in the hands of Martin Scorsese uh, at his at, at his manic best, moving that camera around, making those quick cuts. Hilarious moments. I, I think that if you didn't look at that movie as a comedy and as a celebration of a specific American archetype, the huckster, the salesman, or as a metaphor for the way capitalism works in this country, uh, then I think I think you missed the point. I think if you said it was indulgent, I think you, you missed the point because that was the point. It was indulgent. It was over the top. There are moments in that movie, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil anything, but some of the greatest moments in that movie was just when the camera just turned on the group of brokers in that room and the intensity of testosterone, cocaine, and Read where you just saw this this humming, buzzing group of mostly men just sort of about to explode. And in every shot of all the brokers, there was always like one would someone would erupt in just weird wrestling and violence and jumping around, throwing each other around. And it just kept you know peaking and peaking till at one point towards the end of the movie, they were literally there were brokers doing backflips. And I just thought the nuance of that in terms of the the sort of mania and manic nature of that period uh, in, in that specific realm, the uh, financial realm uh, of American uh, business, I thought was pretty fascinating. I think that maybe people were expecting something more leveling of, of the, the injustices of, of, of that type of business, of stocks and, and the, the sort of uh, the, the sham 
of the stock market and, and how people were taken advantage of. I think that was in the movie, but I don't think that was the agenda of the movie. I think that what is challenging about that movie is it was more of, of uh, a perverse celebration of, uh, of American capitalism than it was some sort of morality tale of, a, of, a, of an individual. And I thought that, um, that Leonardo DiCaprio was, was better than I'd ever seen him. I didn't know if he was going to turn on the juice, but he, he did something that I'd never seen him do, and he was spectacular. Jonah Hill was spectacular. McConaughey was spectacular. Um, I don't know the woman who played his wife. She was great. Everybody was, uh, I thought it was great. I could have watched it for another hour. That's where I'm at. Could have watched it another hour. So I saw that, and we both agreed, which is good. It's good that when you're in a, a new relationship with somebody and you're having conversations about things, it's nice when you agree because then the, then the relationship isn't threatened for that 10 minutes. Got to be careful. You know, like sort of early on, you never know when, when, when there's a deal breaker. Like, well, we can't agree on that film. I guess you're on your own. This was a big mistake. We're past that. We went to see a play called Stop Hitting Yourself by the Rude Mechanical Theater Company. I think Rude Mechanicals out of Austin, Texas. It was, it was very fun. There was experimental theater in the best of ways. There was dancing. There was humor. There was uh, interaction with the audience. It, uh, it was also about greed. And it's nice to be uh, at an experimental theater uh, event that doesn't make you go, well, what the fuck is going on here? That's embarrassing. Theater can be embarrassing. This was not. Had a great time. Uh, then we, I need to stop into Russ and Daughters to have two pieces of herring. I just wanted two pieces of Magis herring. And I walked down the street eating it with onions. Moon wanted to taste it. And I said, I don't know if you're ready for this. This is, a, this is not a thing for everybody. And I gave her, she insisted, I gave her one bite of the Magis herring. And she looked at me like it was over. That, that's what happened in that bite of fish. There was, there was a lot on the line. She said, this is foul. And I said, Do, are we still moving forward with, with our relationship or whatever's happening? She said, she took a second and, uh, and, and said yes. So we got through that. We got through the herring obstacle. I spent some time with uh, Louis C.K., Jim Norton, uh, Nick DiPaolo, and Pam Adelon. And, uh, and, and Moon was with me, and I introduced Moon to, uh, to the fellas. And Nick DiPaolo pulled me aside after he realized who she was. And, said, and pointed at my facial hair configuration and said, uh, yeah, that, does she ever mention that? And uh, I laughed, and what I should have said was, well, she insisted on it. Did not say that. Missed an opportunity. So let's talk to David Bronner now about Dr. Bronner's soap and what the hell it is and where the hell they're at and why. Why? What is, what is that fucking label about? David Bronner. Now, look, I got to be honest with you. No. This soap has been around a long time. Dr. Bronner's All-in-One Magic Soap. Is that what you call it still? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, I remember the first time I ever saw it in someone's house. I was younger, and it was like this weird, mystical thing. That right. label, you know, I, I don't remember who I first uh, talked to about it, but I remember, like, what is this soap? And someone said, yeah, some uh, crazy guy made that label. And that's his soap. And then I never really thought about it or investigated it much, but I used the soap in my house. And then I saw your uncle's movie. Right. Uh, his, your uncle Ralph. Right. And that was crazy too, but crazy in a good way because your grandfather, Emmanuel, mm -hmm. did you know him at all? Yeah. You did? 
yeah, towards the end? Yeah, yeah, you know, he was 24-7, you know, the sounds like, you know, he talked like the label. I mean, he was yeah. a very intense guy. And, yeah. But yeah, as he calmed down later in life and got to hang out no more. Yeah. How, chill way. How was, uh, so like by the time, like if uh, the movie, by how, how, how long did he live? 89. He was 89 years old. Yeah. And he's a real character. Because I, I mean, I pulled up, I pulled up the text of the label. Now, what do you know? I mean, I assume that because you're running the company now and you sort of turned it around. Your father ran it before you? Yeah, he, he had his own company and he, then he stepped in and started running Dr. Bronner's as well. So yeah. initially, though, I just want to get a little history because I, I think your grandfather is, is fascinating. I imagine you do as well on some level. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and do you, wh- where does the, the tradition of soap making come from? And, and like, let's, let's start with that. Where did your grandfather learn how to make soap? Sure. So he uh, he uh, he was a third generation German Jewish soap maker in southern Germany. Was there a, a tradition of German Jew soap making? Um, yes. So the uh, you know going back, I guess yeah. you know Napoleon. Uh, uh, you know it, it took a while for Jews to get you know rights to to land and property. And, right. But you know I guess after Napoleon, um, the the Jewish bourgeois quickly established itself in southern Germany and started providing most of the tax base and oh that's and right. all kinds of businesses I think so, the, the yeah. aristocratic jews i think they're called the, yeah. the, the jew the jewish wealthy class yeah so yeah that was kind of my family uh-huh. well i mean you know came from nothing but right um and yeah. he and he just made soap yeah he, he so he would train under the guild system of the time he apprenticed to another uh you know soap maker and um became a master you know soap maker uh-huh. under the guild system uh-huh. also had the equivalent of a master's in chemistry really um, yeah. So was he making mostly bar soap or was he making the liquid soap that we've grown to know? Uh, bar soap and actually the family pioneered liquid soap. Uh, and and so our, our liquid soap was in washrooms throughout Germany. It was on the Zeppelins. So Really? Yeah. There's, yeah. So Dr. Bronner's soap, and this was uh, this was your, your great-grandfather's <coughs> soap originally? Yeah, great, well, great-great-grandfather's. And then, so he they, he created a huge business for for Bronners in Germany. Yeah, well, the great grand—I guess my granddad's dad and his two brothers. Right. Um, yeah, they're the ones who really like cranked it up, and they had the three factories, including one in Heilbronn, uh-huh. which is still standing. It's a machine shop now. Have you gone back there? Yeah, and to look at the original factory. Yeah. So, did you, did you feel the magic? Was there an emotional connection to that experience? Yeah, well, the first time back was very, you know, intense. I mean, yeah. like the whole, you know, going through the whole history and Holocaust, uh-huh. and, and you know, we were in the Jew- starting the Jewish quarter of Laupheim. Um, Is that where the family was? Yeah, uh-huh. and then, oh, and then Heilbronn. But it was also really cool. I mean, the town's rad, and, and yeah. it turned out, and, and you know, the historical society took us through everything, and uh-huh. you know, the Germans do a really good job, I think, of you know, it's amazing what yeah. uh, being driven by insane guilt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In a, in a way, better than we have with like sure. slavery or the American Indians. Or, right, right. You know. Yeah. So. Oh, it's so interesting. So they really have gone out of their way to sort of like try to put that history back together so people can understand what happened. Yeah. If you go to the Holocaust sites, you know, I mean, you got the high school students traipsing through, and uh-huh. you know, oh sure, I mean, yeah. they're really putting in there. Yeah. I've never, I've never uh, uh, gone to Germany. I don't think that any of my immediate family, uh, most of them, got out before the Holocaust. But I mean, your family. Uh, was profoundly affected, correct? I mean, like he got out in a nick of time, kind of. Well, or... he actually he got out in twenty nine. Uh-huh. Or he, I mean, he, Emmanuel Bronner. Emmanuel Bronner. He, it was more generational conflict with with his dad and uncles who he had newfangled ideas on soap making and 
Really? Um, and then he was Zionist and just kind of like a little too radical and just constant uh-huh. clashing with his dad. And Oh, really? So it's more on that level that he He, he just, left? Not yeah. because of Hitler, because yeah, his dad uh, was pissing him off. Pretty much, yeah. But, <laughs> Good, but he got lucky then, huh? But his sisters, one, his youngest sister in 30, when she was 16, left when she was 16, um, and went to the Engev kibbutz in Israel, and then another got out in '38, just before the borders closed, and came to Boston. Uh huh. Oh, so, uh, right. So they all got. So the, all his immediate siblings got out. Yeah, but the his parent they weren't able to talk her parents out until it was too, you know it was too late. And they were put in concentration camps. Yeah. And died in them. Yeah. That's horrible. And the the entire business was seized, and all the money was seized, and everything was lost. <clears throat> yeah, it was nationalized in '40. The, the the actual factory. So they continued yeah. making. Your soap. Yeah, there's an actual letter. Actually, the German Historical Society just did a um, series on 100 German-American entrepreneurs and did this amazing research on, on my granddad and on uh, our history. And um, and actually, they, they found a letter from the, uh, I guess, the, the Nazi that you know got the factory. Uh-huh. And it was like this letter to the customer base, uh-huh. Metaform. It was called Metaform with uh-huh. the company. And it was like, uh, you know, rest assured, uh, Metaform has been Aryanized, you know, how Hitler... Oh really? Yeah. That's oh my pretty... God! So, th- so the fear of Jewish soap was gone. Yeah, yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. And and when you say they revolutionized liquid soap, I mean, what does that mean? Who came up with that? Your great great grandfather? Yeah. Well, no, I think my great grandfather, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. It was. You know, it's a, it was. You know, it's still preparatory how we make it. Um, I mean, it's not rocket science, but yeah, they pioneered making liquid soap you know and, and, and that was not part of the culture or or even a reality in the world liquid soap until that yeah exactly no kidding yeah and what is the uh what what is the uh the, the magic recipe how is it made what makes it so uh special uh yeah so yeah i mean so in soap making you're basically it's it's a blend of of different oils and fats with their different fatty acids yeah and uh yeah, it's just uh, it's about the the knowledge of you know you want high lather, you want emolliency. You uh-huh. know, it's all about getting that that uh-huh. that magic uh, balance. Now, when you were, um, I, I, it's, it's it's sort of interesting because you know I got a little sense of the history of Doctor Bronner's, but when you read that label, I mean, have you spent time with the label? Oh yeah, I mean, it's like the I Ching, you know, you just you never know, right? What you're gonna get. And... I mean, it's it's it, you know, it's easy to look at it as sort of crazy. You know, I you know, I can only read. I, I didn't really underline portions of it, but uh, but there there there's political commentary, there's spiritual commentary, there's there's personal sort of like fight the good fight commentary, there's biblical commentary. I mean, what do you have any idea of what the? Um, I'm trying to th- find what's your favorite. Do you have a favorite section of it? Oh gosh, well, um, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I like the tea tree label. That's kind of like it was kind of after my granddad died, and we we put out a tea tree flavor, and we uh-huh. all kind of picked our favorites. I kind of like. Uh, I think like he'll he'll kind of channel different historical, you know, spiritual figures, right, and, right, and kind of give it his own gloss. Like right here, the first, and these are eleven. How many are there? Eleven. Are they called moral principles? Ooh, I think what? there's a lot more. He, luckily, he was blind, so I could just pick up the bottle. And he's like, you know, I was supposed to memorize them all. You were? Yeah. So when he, he told you to? Yeah. You know, so be like, you know, what's the thirteenth? You know, really? Yeah. That's hilarious. The first is, if I'm not for me, who am I? Nobody. Second, yet, yet, if I'm only for me, what am I? Nothing. Third, if not now, when? Once more, useless, constructive, selfish. I work hard, like Mark Spitz, perfecting first me. Absolutely, absolute nothing can help perfect me. 
<laughs> like, like when I read this and I was told that this guy was unstable, I was like, this is like profoundly interesting. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like folk art or something, that label. No, absolutely. Well, the first few there was that's Hillel. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's his, it's his riff on Hillel, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is a very cryptic and difficult. If I'm not for me, then who, who am I? If I'm not, if I'm only for me, then what am I? And if not now, when, right? Right. Something like that. So your fa- your grandfather just interpreted that into some sort of like uh, kind of proactive mantra. Yeah. Well, the moral ABC that you know all 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 brave young strong must uh, you know must learn to if we're going to unite lightning like. Yeah. But you know it's interesting. Mark Spitz, you got an old label. I don't know <clears throat> where you got that because we got sued by Mark Spitz. Oh, you did? No, I just I went uh, just I found a few people that had just put the text. Oh, on. that's funny. Yeah, because we had to, we had to, we were going to have a big battle with Mark Spitz like right before uh, Phelps was going to you know take take the glory. Yeah, from yeah, him. yeah. He like sued us, like you know, saying like we're you know using his name to sell our soap and like this he, is re- really yeah. so this is recently. Yeah, let's see. It was five years ago. Mark yeah. Spitz out of nowhere says, you know, that's it. Take my name off. Yeah. Well, no, he wanted money. Really? Yeah. So, oh my god. Yeah, I don't know if we're violating some kind of settlement, but anyway. <laughs> so yeah, we gave him. We gave him like I, I wanted to fight it, but we we you know get, cut him a small check. But, uh, and that, that shut him up? Yeah, it was lame because, you know, my granddad saw Mark Spitz. You know, he was like the first, you know, I mean, he's a, a Jewish, Jewish yeah, Olympian that's yeah. like amazing. And he's a perfect example of, right. of, of work hard, you know, right, constructive right. selfish perfection. And, right. You know, and he's suing us about it. So, How much of your grandfather's uh, sort of spiritual thinking and, and, and his, you know, sort of uh, um, persistence do you think was driven by you know being jewish and 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 sort of you know knowing uh you know what the jews have had to go through throughout generations how do you think the holocaust affected him yeah i think that was you know that and you know losing his parents um you know were the primary drivers of his mission Um, and i think also the you know in the nuclear armed world he just felt um urgently called on this mission that all spiritual phase and all Traditions and giants are at their heart saying the same thing that, you know, we need to get over our, our trivial differences and realize our transcendent unity across ethnic and religious divides. And we're all children of the same divine source. Every man prays to God in his own language and there's there's no language God doesn't understand. And, you know, that's he just felt that's what the label is about. And he had to break through or we were going to perish. Really? And, yeah. And And then like and he thought that this was all going to be done through <laughs> soap. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, mean, I think at times he was grandiose, and I think sometimes a little more realistic uh-huh. um, that he was like a piece of the puzzle, right? But right. you know, <laughs> <laughs> because there was this time where I remember my experience with the soap was like, I'm going to use this on everything, right? That like I look at this label, this guy definitely had, uh, you know, uh, he had some sort of enlightening kind of uh, purpose. And, you know, I'm going to try to use this on my hair. I'm going to try to use this to brush my teeth with. I'm going to try to use it for uh, for my laundry. I'm going to use it for everything. Right. And you can, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you ran out of toothpaste, you know, I mean, like... You know, yeah. that's not on the label? doesn't say teeth? Oh, no, it does. It does. I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I'm, you know, being realistic You wouldn't it. recommend it for toothpaste, well, but yeah. you can do it. Yeah, yeah, If I, you I, dilute it. Yeah, just a drop on a toothbrush, and it's kind of soapy, but uh-huh. it works, and... <laughs> <laughs> so that was yeah. so how did i think the other interesting part of the puzzle you seem like sort of a, a, a groovy guy i mean were you it, it seems that at some point the your your grandfather's timing uh in the 70s and the late 60s 
sort of coincided with, and I think the movie explores this a little bit, with the the culture sort of uh, breaking open and sort of becoming more mystical, spiritual, more uh, sort of uh, experimental, that the, the hippie movement and the alternative lifestyle movement in the 60s kind of latched on to him. Right. The hippie market was the market for a long time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, my grandma was an intense guy, and, yeah. and I mean, obviously from the label, and you know, and the the soap was really more to sell the label than vice versa, and and um, the soap was to sell the label. Yeah, I mean, so the message. He, yeah, he saw himself as a prophet. We, well, he when he uh, let's see, so he was very intent. He actually uh, got thrown in an insane asylum, literally in Chicago. Yeah, for being as intense as he was. And, um, was he ever diagnosed with anything? Was he man, man, bipolar or no? Man, I nah. mean, I mean, he he might have had slight. Sc- I mean, I mean, the tragedy of everything he went through. His my dad's mother died when my dad was four. I mean, it was my granddad was going through a lot. Yeah, you know, and, and just a lot of pressures and and he's losing know, his eyesight as well. Losing right? his eyesight. Yeah, you know, I think he might have had some slight schizo tendency, but yeah. I mean, that line between mystical genius and insight. Um, and but I mean, for the most part, I mean, he was just kind of this rat preaching his radical health food movement and uh-huh. ecology and environmentalism and uh-huh. all this stuff in america yeah. in, in the late 40s and 50s you know it's like some weird communism right kind of thing he actually had a guy crucify himself on a bridge in chicago for his peace plan uh so but well, anyways what the guy did it on his own will well obviously someone had to help him it's it's a little vague how that all but he was down. inspired by your grandfather uh, yeah my grandfather who actually had nothing to do with it Right. Well, no. Well, when you when you become sort of a spiritual figure, you know, people are going to interpret it in their own way. Right. And <laughs> so he he decided he was going to do that. Yeah, yeah. This guy soap. Fred Walker. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I forgot where I was going with all this, but he well, was just, he, well, just the, the fact that the hippies sort of latched onto him. But right. I think it's interesting that what you say is that he saw the soap. Like after a certain point, he knew he was making the soap, and he was a master soap maker. But his his ideology and his prophecy was what he was really concerned with. Exactly, and that's and and so yeah. So after he escaped from Elgin State Asylum, he, he ran out, away from the asylum. Yeah, he got out. Yeah, he uh, he uh, he came out west, and he was actually lecturing in Pershing Square here in L.A. Uh, it was like a hotbed of act- activism uh-huh. in the fifties and stuff, and so people were starting to come more to buy the soap at, at the end of his speech uh-huh. than to hear what he had to say. So that's that's when he started putting the. Oh, that's interesting. Starting to put what he had to say on the label. So, so. the agenda, once he had the vision, does is there a point, do you know, did, did he have a vision? Like, was it like a white light kind of vision? That, that? I, I think he did have a, a few. Yeah. I, mean, I think he definitely, he you know, in, in some parts of the label, you can he references certain experiences and, yeah. Oh, go to, I, and now I want to find him. Yeah. Like, well, there's some weird stuff. Well, it's not weird, but it's like, love is like a willful, willful bird. Do you want it? It flies away. Yet when you least expect its bliss, it turns around. Uh, it, it's here to stay. For centuries, man struggles half asleep, half living, small, jealous, bickering with mountains of red tape. To be awakened the night God cho- choose giving his great reward for hard work, the moral ABC, unity, ecstasy, love, evolving man above the ape. The moral ABC, unity, love, evolving man above. Coincidentally, L, yet oh so slow. Sweet kisses whisper softly into waiting ears, arousing... This is on soap! <laughs> arousing heavenly flames that enlighten, renew, brilliant fires blazing through dark, lonesome years. Who else but God gave man this sensuous passion? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's definitely an experience, you know? Yeah, that, he's yeah. Like, it's, like, it's yeah. like man on the mountain shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what was your father's relationship with him? I mean, was, you say your grandfather was present. Was there a time where... 
I mean, because obviously you're taking the company in a different, not a different direction, but you're you seem to be, you know, kind of expanding uh, the 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 vision of the company, but you know, sort of honoring this business, right? Or in a way, just maybe bringing it down to earth a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I totally honor the cosmic vision of my granddad. I'm all about it, uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, was your dad? My dad actually, yeah, no, that was a pretty rocky relationship. So you know, my grand my granddad. Uh, you know his wife died so my dad's mom died yeah. so my granddad was like caught on this mission to you know save the world and basically had my dad and uncle were um, and your uncle Ralph my uncle Ralph were raised in foster homes in the Wisconsin area and my granddad would you know financially support them and check in and but he was so, out running but he around was basically absent yeah so my, man with a mission right running around the country right. with boxes of soap right and his rant yeah and, and he just let them kind of be brought up by anybody yeah and then i mean he was you know checking in and then right. he had you know I, you know my dad went in the navy got in the navy when he was 17 and when he got out he came and you know worked for my granddad and um you know but yeah and and but yeah, it had a difficult relationship. My, my granddad came down to San Diego. My dad stayed up and continued to manufacture the soap. Where? Uh, actually, right here in uh, L.A., right by uh, Atwater, right on the river. Oh, right here. Yeah. So that's where the 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 the, the original Bronner's factory was. It, you know, it was actually another facility uh-huh. that we would rent time out on in Atwater. Yeah, basically uh-huh. right there. And yeah. so your dad and your grandfather were, were kind of at odds, but your your father saw that there was a, a real business to be managed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he was, you know, there was a lot of love, a lot of anger. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so my dad actually ended up uh, uh, founding his own chemical consulting firm uh-huh. and doing his own thing. And, uh-huh. But, yeah, and, and, you know, the most moral man I know is my dad. I mean, he was super upright, but wanted nothing to do with religion, period. Right. Pretty much, you know, as soon as my granddad started on the moral ABC, he was like, you know, I don't want to hear that, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting, but it was it. What was the religion that your grandfather was preaching? It, it doesn't sound like it sounded like he was pulling stuff from a lot of different places, but it, it doesn't sound like it was traditionally Jewish or or or, or necessarily a specific religion. It would seem to be his own thing. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it was. It's an overall Judaic kind of influenced context, but yeah, it's very universal and uh-huh. and. and uh, but I don't. I th- my grand. My dad didn't object on that ground. I think it was more like my granddad was like escaping his, you know, his responsibilities, res- uh-huh. you know, as a family and whatever, you know. So he had a beef with him. Well, my granddad was very intense. I mean, like you couldn't talk to him about anything. It's like, you know, he, you know, my granddad would be like, you know, what's more important, whatever you're talking about or saving this spaceship Earth, you oh, know, okay. and, and just immediately dominate conversation. And we're going to talk about this. And so, so all the trivial, uh, he saw all the kind of uh, kind of immediate responsibilities of uh, family and, and, and maybe running a business and stuff is sort of trivial to the point that, you know, we have to save the earth now. Yeah, and, and, and in a way that was really amazing. I mean, he would not sell to you if you didn't... Oh, if you didn't want yeah, to Yeah, you could get on Walmart, board? you know. Oh, really? And, and yeah, just, yeah, if you didn't want to hear what he had to say, he wasn't going to sell you soap. So, really? Yeah. Like, what, what do you know of any accounts that you actually lost because of his... Oh, I mean, there's legend. Oh my God, there is a story. I forget who it is. My my uncle tells it. You know, yeah. my uncle's like, "Who's that on the phone?" He's like, "I don't know. It didn't matter. Someone, boom, big." Oh, really? Yeah. But <laughs> we've we've said no to Walmart actually twice mm-hmm. you know, in the modern era. On what but, on what grounds? You know, just being like one of the lamer, lamest, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> corporations. Yeah, yeah. So just because you didn't, and you didn't need it, I guess. 
Yeah, and you know, and you know, their health. I mean, primarily on their health care. I mean, low wages and, mm-hmm. and health care. The way they treat uh, mm-hmm. consume, or the way they treat their employees, and also yeah. the fact that they they actually put out you know, they put mom and pop shops out of business everywhere. Right. So your father then okay, so he started his own his own company, and you got along okay with him. Yeah. yeah. Oh my dad was awesome, and yeah. um, and, and you were, you grew up in San Diego. Uh, here in Glendale, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is all familiar to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It was like the MapQuest was like, or, you know, Maps was telling us like the five and 10 or it was yeah, weird. Yeah, it was yeah. like, why? That's not the 10. That's a, you that, know. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you came up from that way. Yeah. From There's it, like, and did you use the Google on your iPhone? Yeah. It's fucked up over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. I'm a, I, luckily, I'm just like, dude, right? I don't know what the fuck this is. It's yeah. all fucked up, and like down where the five and the one ten meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, it got, I got screwed up there too. And there's that moment where you're like, should I believe what I know to be true, or should I believe my phone? Exactly. <laughs> but you found your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. when you grew up, did you have any sort of a, a some, you know, did you know you were going to go into the family business, or was this an afterthought? Well, I grew up working on my dad's business. So it, among other things, he developed firefighting foam. So mm-hmm. when you see foam dropping on forest fires or structures fires, yeah. So he invented that. Um, he modified a version uh, for fake snow for Hollywood. So oh, I, really? I grew up like snowing out commercial sets and movie sets. And Oh, so you'd have to bring the machinery over there? Yeah. So he actually, not only did he invent it, but he kept hold of the patent and decided to actually service the movie industry with this stuff? Well, the patent, the firefighting patent, ironically, is uh, Monsanto's. So Monsanto's firefighting division back in the day. So I, I, I would go and work on Monsanto's fire, firefighting division and then my dad would sell firefighters. Like I'd go around and sell firefighters on using foam because firefighters have been using water for you know, huh? Thousands so how of years. do they own the patent? How does Monsanto own the patent? Well, my dad was a, a consultant, so he developed the oh developed he, it for Monsanto. Yeah, yeah. So then he became sort of the he'd be the salesman for it as well. Well, yeah, I mean, he was just promoting the yeah the embrace or adoption of foam. Uh-huh. And actually, Monsanto sold their firefighting division in the late eighties and. It's got bonds. It's actually a Tel Aviv chemical conglomerate now that owns the the product. But the, if you ask a firefighter, hey, I know the guy's dad developed WD881. You know, that's yeah. the industry standard firefighting foam. Oh, so he's kind of a a, a, a sort of a, a hero in that area. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Monsanto, I guess, was you know, only relatively evil back then. You know, now yeah. they're a little they're a little questionable too, right? Yeah, you know, I didn't know better. And, yeah, and whatever. They're like a country. They're just huge and bad in various ways. <laughs> yeah, but they yeah, did yeah. Agent Orange and DDT, so they'd already had that under their belt. Oh, so they were already pretty shitty. But yeah, yeah. they put out fires too. They right. caused them intensely, and they you know, melt people. But we're also uh, we're also helping the world. Right. That's the tricky, uh, horrible moral reality of corporations. It's not about people. It's about the product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when did your old man decide that he was going to get into the soap racket? Well, let's see. So my granddad got sick in the late 80s. He was actually facing um, a very stressful battle with the IRS. The IRS uh, disagreed with my granddad's self-designated nonprofit religious status. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so... He yeah, sounds like such yeah. a character, man. Yeah, so he was in, in court and... He, he fought them, though. He fought them and he had got pneumonia um, and, uh, and lost. So the IRS, so he had to pay like 30 years of back taxes. 30 years? Yeah. And what about so, on top of like, I, oh, I guess you said he was doing the family support thing. So that was cool. Yeah. But so, 30 years of back taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in bankruptcy and, um, and my dad at that point, so my dad, granted got sick. So my dad at that point stepped in and kind of reorganized the company as a for-profit, fired everybody who was giving my granted really bad advice. Like your dad, it seems like your uncle Ralph is a much more, uh, you know, sensitive, poetic spirit. Yeah. And, and your dad, 
uh, seemed to be the more practical yeah, business mind. Exactly, yeah. And and Ralph was around, right? Yeah, and, and my uncle Ralph helped out as well. I mean, more on the. I mean, he was also more of the sole kind of right, right. spokesman. Because it seemed to me, if I'm remembering the movie correctly, that your grandfather had sort of created almost a commune type of vibe to the company. That they there were a lot of yes people, but there are a lot of people that believed in him, and he it seemed like he sort of collected stray people a little bit. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's some amazing people. My granddad was really an amazing man, and and like the people still in my company are like my aunts you know kind of like growing up and, yeah. you know they just love them so much i mean they came from everywhere all walks of life and he like brought in like you know kind of you know kids on the street and right just, you know and and just you know taught them you know how, how to, to make soap yeah and then or be our accountant or whatever really and uh yeah so yeah so yeah we had a quite an eclectic but that didn't fire those people he fired right. like the kind of you know the outside whatever, accounting yeah. people and the the, the people yeah. that were kind of preying on it so yeah the, the sort of family that your your grandfather built around the soap they're still around oh yeah absolutely so, it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing like there like it, it there is sort of a like an old sort of you know 60s ideology to it all yeah absolutely and are there people that functionally believe in your grandfather's religion i mean are there people that 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 preach the label? Um, uh, there are a few. We, you know, we get asked to mar- to do, <laughs> yeah, to, to, like officiate a wedding, and you know, we have to explain that no, we're not a religion, and but you know, we revere what my granddad's all about. Yeah, so, oh, that's hilarious! So that you get sort of like, who are those people though? If you could categorize them, are they older people that that sort of grew up with the soap? Or are they younger people? Because like, I, I, uh, the way I picture it. Is that Dr. Bronner's was such a sort of um, you know hippies late sixties early seventies mainstay that there there must be you know kids that grew up with it that that grew up in like hippie houses like I'm just trying to figure out what the the community that reaches out like that to you guys what are they like? Well, the hardcore kind of like the, the hardcore hippie world is I mean they you know they don't buy into it like hook line and sink or anything right, but right. i mean they're definitely grooving on the one love and you yeah know, they're they're all about it and that's you know that's my level and yeah 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 you know right uh you know i guess there's like occasionally you get people like even you know further along you know yeah but, but there must be some older some do 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 you ever have people that are, are are sort of fascinated and want to tour the factory and you know that kind of stuff oh yeah they? absolutely yeah and, that they come in, they come in. It's like I remember when we first got oh, this stuff. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, do, you, so, do they tell you stories and shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, are there any people do you, do, like that actually saw your grandfather speak and stuff? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, they just had a viewing of Rainbow Bridge. Uh, it was this uh, movie uh, made in 1970. And it's about a commune in Maui. Yeah, I think it was financed by the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Anyways, it's got my granddad. They flew him out to to Maui. Oh yeah, and, and it's like him in his heyday. So if you ever want to check out, I mean, the movie is kind of like the 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 best and worst with a lot of the worst of, of the sixties. Uh huh. There, but it's Jimi Hendrix's last like uh, live performance captured in film. Oh, that's I have that album, the Live yeah, at Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, I never knew what that was. He's building uh, he's building a, a bridge between our lower and higher consciousness and the, connecting that, with the planetary centers. And so now, like in in current day, so all right, well, let's get back to the fact. So your your father steps in, reorganizes the company. And did, is your dad the kind of guy, or was he the kind of guy that you, you know had to kind of like you know, tolerate 
uh, the following that the soap had and the people that were into the soap because he seems a little at, at odds with the, the hippie thing. Yeah. He, no, I mean, there was a little bit of a culture clash, but my dad was like an amazing free spirit in his way as well. Right. So, you know, he, he dug everybody. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and, uh, so yeah, and, and actually my my granite did actually rally back and assume control again for a couple of years. <laughs> did he was it, to yeah. to your dad's chagrin or was he okay with it? Uh my dad was all right, but my granite <laughs> could have been a little more grateful maybe. But uh <laughs> I just it's so rare that you meet a guy like your grandfather who who, you know, who's just like this like kind of like radical but you know cranky visionary dude well he wasn't cranky but just persistent he was persistent yeah it was yeah, intense yeah, yeah yeah there's nothing you could do about it you couldn't stop it so right. they would probably fight all the time about what to do and what not to do yeah so and then my dad was you know but then my granddad had parkinson's and so basically by 94 my dad and mom and uncle had stepped back in and were running the company and then what did it look like then i mean what were they making just one type of soap or two when like what, what what was the primary product and how did it grow from there? Uh, it's, well, it's liquid soap primarily with some bar soaps. Right, um, peppermint was number one by far. And there was uh, I'm I'm trying to think early on. There was a lot of almond, almond. Yeah, yeah. There was almond, lavender, eucalyptus, and baby unscented baby. And the peppermint. And the peppermint. And then you made that other one, the the one for cleaning other things. Cell suds. Yeah, I had some of that. Yeah, and then we also had a whole bunch of health food products. You did? Yeah, my grand actually had uh, his very first product was a mineral salt, uh, like a mineral, like a healthy mineral seasoning. Uh And in fact, uh, he would insist on mineralizing everything. You have to mineralize it. And, uh, you know, it'd be ice cream or something. You know, put this nasty mineral salt on it. And he, like, there's some footage in the in the documentary of him going through some sort of weird ritual with a washcloth, I think. With, where, oh, yeah, yeah. Where he'd soap it up with the peppermint. Like, I, it seemed to me that as a personality that, you know, what he was saying and then, you know, and then all these other things that he invested a lot of belief in things and, and it seemed to, you know, sort of get him by, get him through. Like his passion for it, like whether mineral salts are necessarily need to be on everything, he believed it. Yeah, it was rad. I mean, it, I mean, it was good on avocado. I mean, he, he just he just wouldn't <laughs> yeah. distinguish between. A, <laughs> <laughs> so they, that was his original product before the soap. Yeah, and then he had a bouillon. The bouillon was actually really popular, and we'll still get people asking us, you know, what about the bouillon? Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. When was it being made in the sixties? Yeah, man, it might even start in the 50s. Really? Yeah. And you don't make it anymore? No. You don't deal with food? Yeah, we got out of, I mean, cause, well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's just like a lot of problems. Uh, Getting uh, FDA approval and- Yeah, there's or, this, uh, and actually the genetic engineering, like a lot of these products were soy-based. And, yeah. And, and all of a sudden the soybeans were all genetically engineered. And back in the 90s, you couldn't get not genetically engineered soy. Like they were fighting to not, you know, have to distinguish- Oh, really? Um, right, right. Supply yeah. chains. Right. So and you, you guys know, didn't want to mess. Yeah, with that. and we're just like we're out, man. We're not going to tank the brand over like five percent of our sales. Yeah, you know, if we can't get this stuff, so not the, Gmail. So the original products were the mineral salts and the bouillon. Yeah, and and the peppermint soap, which you know. So those three things. Those three things. And then the the under your dad's when your dad took over, he he made the new the different soaps. Um, no, my dad just more or less kind of streamlined things, got things a little more logically organized. Uh huh. Um, and 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 in terms of um. When you guys took it over, where where was the business? So yeah, okay, so it's just you and your who's involved now? It's me and my brother, fifty fifty partners. Yeah, um, was mom. that was that willed to you? How did uh, that work? Like you know, your dad, your grandfather had it, and yeah. he gave it to your your father. Yeah. So so yeah, okay. So 
my when my granddad died my granddad actually died in on march 7th 97 yeah um same day my daughter was born wow um that's interesting yeah and i had gone through a lot of experiences i went to amsterdam after college and um had some big psychedelic experiences yeah like what happened like blew my life weight open but you know just died and and kind of just saw the light and and wait let's get specific so you're in amsterdam yeah well you know just an experiencing a society that's not shredding its citizens lives and and, you know the drug war and just meeting a lot of americans on the run who are great and rad people and they know, they're facing 10 to 20 years they step back in the great usa and it was just for me this real radicalizing like right whoa you know like right what, and, yeah what, what 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 country am i living in yeah exactly right, right. the big yeah. education exactly yeah. so and and just radically rethinking everything i was doing i adopted a vegan diet um still on know, it yeah still on it and just you know came much more ecologically minded and like re- realized the disaster of our you know collective consumption choices as a as you know as a species and started to really understand what my granddad was about you know it's just like holy shit you know like wow this guy really so like so before that you know what kind of guy were you before you went to college i mean were you just sort of like a I was at, I, glendale I, kid yeah, just running around soccer and football and just wanted to you know play ball and then in college just you know started whatever partying a lot more and meeting really great people and started right. getting my mind opened and, uh-huh you know, and then uh, and then in Amsterdam, I guess the process completed, and wow, and, and uh, then all of a sudden you're like, God, Grandpa was right. Yeah, I get much. it. Let me yeah. take a look at that label again. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. And so yeah, I know it's just like holy crap, and and so not right away. I mean, actually, still in Amsterdam. I mean, I I wanted to not work in either. It was more my dad's company and my grand's company at the time that was more like kind of the path. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to do either. I'm, I'm going to grow plants. And, you know, that's my, and if everyone would just stand up and stand up for, you know, cannabis and we, this thing would be over. And, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I got yeah. all radicalized and traumatized my parents. and uh, about, Oh, about legalizing weed. And, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, so eventually that didn't work out. So I came back <laughs> and. <laughs> no, you gave up that fight. Yeah. Well, no, no, I didn't give up the fight. Man. Did you we're, go grow some still, weed? Well, I gave up the career, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. Weed, yeah. Yeah. The career didn't work out, but the fight. Yeah. You know, goes, goes on. on. Sure. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you come back and you, what, you sit down with your dad and you say, look, I want to. Yeah, well, I became a mental health counselor actually in the Boston area for like a couple of years. You Did know, you go to school for that? No. Wait, what? Reagan gutted the whole mental health system, so someone like me with no relevant experience whatsoever could basically get a job. And, and what, like doing what? Like abuse counseling, substance abuse counseling, <clears throat> or what kind of mental health stuff? Mostly paranoid schizophrenic populations, but really? also you, MR and and you, know, you had no training autism. for that. No. Well, you know what? I mean, the psycho. I mean, just having some, you know, psychedelic pretty, experience. Yes, I mean that's pretty much the territory. Except, you know, they don't get to come down. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you would. What you spent two years doing that? Yeah. And, and what? What exactly did you do? Did you talk to schizophrenics often? And yeah, yeah. I, I, I lived in halfway house, like just homes, and and just you know, kicked it, and you yeah. Know. And what just what your job was to basically spend time with them? Yeah, you know, make meals and and you know take care of people. And was there ever know. a moment where you where you were, uh, you know, talking to one of these guys and sort of reflecting on the label and thought like, oh my god, because like schizophrenics do some interesting writing sometimes. Oh yeah, no, I was, I had some amazing conversations for sure. Because uh, like there is a little, there is an element to the label that's a little schizophrenic. Yeah, and I <laughs> ironically, I myself was like borderline kind of going through. Oh really? Some tough experience myself, you know. Like so what? Just, I don't know. Just like negotiating, like having like these really intense spiritual openings and experiences, and trying to reconcile to my normal world, and just feeling 
Like what is reality kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, exactly. And uh -huh. just kind of trying to reground. And actually that counseling space was very grounding, you know, being a help to other people. It was like, okay, I check all my problems at the door. And, right. That's important. You know, Service is important. Yeah. All right. So when do you have to sit down with the old man about the business? Yeah. So me and my wife, we had, um, she was pregnant and, you know, I just had to really think, okay, what's my career? And I'm just like, you know, I'm going to go for Bronner's. I mean, come on, if a company like this would offer me a job. You know, leaving alone as my, you know, dad, I go for it in a second. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's like, you know, I was like, hey, dad, I'm, you know, I'm ready to come in. And so he was, you know, super psyched. And, um, and but then a month later, uh, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Mm. So fortunately, I had made the decision to come in before that. So it wasn't like, you know, so, um, and he, so he, I guess, so, you know, my granddad died, like, I guess him and my uncle, who died first, your dad or your granddad? My granddad uh -huh. in 97. Mm -hmm. And then um, my dad and uncle inherited 50-50 the company. And then, you know, a few weeks, I don't know, like a month or so later, we found out my dad's diagnosis. Um, and so I got a year with my dad to, you know, kind of learn the ropes and just really, you know, spend time. Did you have to learn how to make soap? I already knew how to make soap. Oh, you you know, I grew Wait. up making soap. I mean, I grew up, you know, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> you had to yeah. know how to make soap. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, just running a business and you know mm -hmm. inventory control and just you right. know, basic stuff. And and, where, and your brother is younger or older? Uh, he's younger. Uh, so he had the same problem I did, which you know didn't want to work in the family. Certainly didn't want to work with his brother. Um, you know, but you know the company. I could see like you know I, we stepped in and um, just, you know within a couple of years it was just you know going and i could see where we were going i'm like mike you got to come in and look i'm not like i used to be and oh, he was you guys had problems yeah well you know whatever not not anything exceptional no, but what was the difference where what, what was he mad at you about just, you're not mad it was just more like dude i'm not gonna work with you dude you know <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but he was like you know he was in you know in japan he was he's really in he, he spent a semester in ethiopia and then he was in japan for two years what was he doing teaching english and, and you I guys both ended up pretty noble dudes. It doesn't yeah. sound like you were you were gunning for the big. Uh, you know, you were you, you at least you had your heart in the right place. Yeah, I think so. And, yeah. and then so and and so now, I mean, we you know, even though we're a for profit, we run the company as if it's a nonprofit. We we cap our salaries at five to one. Um, all income that's you know not needed for the business, we give to different causes and charities. Really? So, yeah. And and whose idea was that? Was that always the way it was run? Pretty much how my granddad ran it. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, that was his case. I mean, against IRS, he's like, look, I mean, I give away all my money. I mean, I'm not, you know. I'm and he really did. Yeah. So as, as weirdly intense and, and, and somewhat uh, un, unable to uh, to deal with, the, like, you, you know, immediate family uh, uh, stresses, he was he was pretty uh, magnanimous. Oh, yeah. And and even his relationships with people out, yeah, kind of outside his children were actually phenomenal. I mean, he had, was really well loved and really took care of people and. So and he took care of his kids too. Just sure, you know, it was yeah, a handful. He, you know? Yeah, he just didn't want to, you know, get yeah. caught up in family drama. Yeah, 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 and he also, I think, liked to let he liked the attention. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's a, that's actually he was like, I demand free speech. Which, yeah, which meant everyone had to shut up and, and listen to him. <laughs> that's on the label. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the free speech thing yeah. is on the label. Yeah. It's has anyone ever written a book about the label? Uh, well, we have we have all we have the whole philosophy compiled. But we don't have a book yet written about the label, no. What do you mean the whole philosophy compiled? There's more than the label? Yeah. Yeah. There's another, I don't know, <laughs> multiply by five or something. I want that book. And I'll get it to you. Moral ABC 1 and 2. Is it on the website or you just have it? I think it might be. Because um, I know I saw all the labels there. 
Well, I'm going to look around a little bit. Like, I'm surprised that nobody has ever written a, a sort of like a, a kind of a assessment of of your grandfather's work and, you know, and contextualize it uh, to the 60s and through the family and, and through the continuing philosophy through you. I mean, it seems like a, a pretty amazing thing. There's got to be some obsessed fans of the... Uh, there, there's interest, actually, the reporter he just did our, an ink piece uh, uh-huh. a really nice article and he like oh man this can be a book you yeah know? He, oh, he got sucked yeah. in he's like i'm gonna yeah but then and then the, another guy who did a fast company piece and he really got it both of these guys got us i think did great jobs yeah so we're realizing like actually ryan's gonna be like uh kind of leading this process like who gets to write the book sure man but yeah there is totally a book to be written yeah so. because i mean it goes you know the, the it seems like the the steps of the book would be uh you know the evolution of the family business in germany mm-hmm. you know and then the holocaust and then you know the your grandfather's journey and then this sort of like you know how it kind of evolved and where it is now it's it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff because i it, you just don't it's one of these like even if i you know you brought me a swag bag here not you know even if I just look at this bottle of uh, of uh, of the peppermint soap, I mean, it's like it, it, it's an icon. The bottle itself is some sort of icon, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you pulled out. That's our first agit. That's our uh, uh, we're go- we're we're doing an agit prop special label for the GMO fight. So we're we're taking on the industrial chemical ag machine on yeah. genetic engineering, and you know we we lost here in California in '37, which is kind of a little bit of a mess of a campaign, but. Um, I think the movement's really got its act together and we're making a lot of progress in Washington states where we're hoping to bust through, um, you know, this November. And what in, in, in terms of this fight with, uh, with, um, with against the, uh, the, the, you know, uh, what would you call it? Is it called Big Agra? Is yeah, it called- Big Ag. Yeah, Monsanto. The, I mean, basically the chemical pesticide industry in this country bought the seed industry. Right. And are genetically engineering resistance to the weed killer. Right. I mean, that's what genetic engineering is. It's, it's resisting, you know, you know they, they patent the seed, they sell you the seed, and then they sell you the chemicals that go with it. And, you know, it's- And it's whole, killing the other seeds. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's a pesticide industry boondoggle. Right. That, that's just, I mean, and, and, and then these weeds are getting blasted with herbicide all the time. So now they're developing resistance. So now we have super weeds, super bugs. They're blasting ever more chemicals on this stuff. Yeah, it's just this chemical treadmill, you know, right. on steroids, and it's horrible. And how know, does it affect your business? Uh, well, we are passionate believers in in you know agroecological organic agriculture that um, that we need to figure out as a society how to base our food and materials and economy generally on sustainable. And who do you do business with to avoid, uh, you know, you know, having to do business with with, with the, Monsanto? The, yeah. Well, the organic movement is made. I mean, it's just you know, I came out of the '60s, and, yeah. and it's just you know, well established, and not that not without problems, but at its heart, is filled with amazing people doing amazing work. Right. And there's this whole parallel economy, basically, outside the control of the ag- agrochemical, uh, you know, corporations. Right. So, you know, and it's about kind of expanding this alternative economy. And making that the dominant economy, and you know, basically people waking up and realizing the power they have when they buy a product. You know, are, are you voting for, you know, a world of you know chemicals being sprayed and killing our soil and killing our water, and, or you know, a sustainable, healthy system that, you know, generations to come can survive and thrive. But what do you think? And and that's certainly you know you know part of your grandfather's vision. But what do you think is the biggest obstacle for you? And, and I, it's my I, you know knowing myself and, and and having you know thinking of myself as 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 somewhat of a, a reasonable person and 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 to the left and, and everything else is that why do you think that more people you know, don't engage in this fight? 
Because they just, I think it's just because they're like, well, I don't know. It seems like, what do I got to do? Where where do I sign up? And like just a, a type of, of apathy because it, it seems like everybody should give a shit about this. Oh, absolutely. And this is part of what this, you know, hopefully I will connect with our customer base who generally are, you know, I think pretty progressive and like, hey, you know, this is, um, this is an important issue. And I know for me, it was kind of back burner. I didn't really care about it. And it was like, oh, genetic engineering, it sounds like, you know, maybe they'll figure out how to, right. you know increase yields or whatever and it took me a while to figure out the you know the just uh, that's a joke that's marketing spin and right this is about chemical companies buying up and controlling our you know agricultural system and um you know and selling more chemicals and spraying more chemicals and um you know and, and that you know this just consolidation is sure hugely right harmful it, yeah to, and and anything in the byproducts of of uh, of genetic engineering like you said, are creating uh, you know almost unkillable strains of weeds and bugs uh, on top of polluting the the food itself, and then also once those seeds start spreading or pollinating, uh, there's a real risk that uh, you know they're just going to take over and there be it'll be very become very difficult to separate real yeah. seeds from modified seeds, right? Right, genetic trespass. Right. Called, yeah. How do you stop that? Right, exactly. And that's the genie. You know, we got to, you know, it's out of the bottle. We need to stick it back in and we just need to draw the line. They've got soy, corn, and cotton, and canola. Yeah. And they're trying to do everything else. And, you know, we're, you know, I think the movement's really waking up and we're starting to have some important victories. So the the Roundup Ready the is the dominant genetically engineered trait and that's Monsanto's lead herbicide is Roundup. Uh-huh. So that technology is failing rapidly. So now they're engineering resistance to 2,4-D, the main ingredient, Agent Orange, uh-huh. and uh, Dicamba, both of which are very toxic, um, supposedly. They're going to use that as pesticide. Yeah, that's going to be the new technology. Is like you can spray a huge amount of 2,4-D and a huge amount of Dicamba. And it's just like, well, that's that one, that's not going to work. You're going to just create resistance to those poisons. And two, these are really toxic chemicals. This is what, you know, we were supposed to not have to use anymore. So now that's, you know. It's back. Yeah, it's back. And, and so anyways, this whole paradigm of chemical agriculture, just, you know, you can just plant the same crop in the same land year after year and just blast it with chemicals uh, is, you know, completely unsustainable. You have to be able to disrupt and interrupt pest cycles in sustainable organic ways you can't just you know it's interesting that part of the book that's another part of the book is that you know that there is some weird family connection to monsanto through through the fire foam yeah yeah totally and we have a fire truck actually we we we, uh, we go to mud runs and um parades and stuff and we make uh, our soap into foam using firefighting foam technology oh really and we have just this, for fun yeah and what well, do you, it's kind of marketing and yeah well what do you do with the fire truck uh well it's like Final wrapped in this like Tibetan fire thing, and my dad's power animal is an eagle, so it's got this rad like, kind of eagle of love in the front. Uh huh. And, and you just spray people with it. Yeah, and <laughs> we have like a big plexiglass shower. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. So, so like, all right. So now, when you got the company, what? Because like, I see I got a bag of stuff here, and I appreciate that. Now, so you're doing you're doing coconut oil too now. So you are doing a little bit of food. Yeah, you know, I should say that. So, so one of the initiatives that i pioneer with my brother is like okay like you know we you know we need to one go organic and then two be fair trade right so you know organic i mean it's super important as we yeah. were talking about is you know the environmental side of sustainability yeah uh you know you know get off the, the synthetic fertilizers and in chemicals but then also like what about the social side you know what about the, the wages and prices right. and working conditions right under which your organic you know coconuts are being produced and we realized we didn't know I mean, it could be kids being exploited, you know, right. who knew? Yeah. So, 
so fair trade is you know it kind of grew out of coffee and in, in the really horrible conditions that um, small coffee farmers face uh-huh. with these really volatile global markets. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, but that fair trade concept is you know we've expanded to um, our major supply chains. So that's coconut oil, palm oil, olive oil, and min oil. You um, use those, did you use those in soaps originally? Yeah. So that's the basic ingredients in the in the soap. Okay. It's like a coconut olive with some hemp oil. That was uh, uh, something we added. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got in a big fight with the Drug Enforcement Administration. Did on you? Hemp. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Right after, gosh, man, right after 9-11. So, so you know, Ashcroft thought he had a blank check. So he went, no, he, he slammed down, he came down on, on hemp, on medical marijuana, uh-huh. on Oregon's euthanasia law. You know, right. I remember the, that. Yeah. So- uh, we, yeah, technically we were a drug kingpin sitting on, you know, uh, you know, 40,000 pounds of schedule one, oh, you know, right. THC. Well, you had a, a, a big silo full of hemp seeds. Is yeah, that you had? yeah. Yeah. We had hemp oil, you know, yeah. with parts per million, trace yeah. THC, you know, it's totally yeah. non-psychoactive. Right. And, you know, it's just, you know, and, and hemp seed oil is really high in the omega three. Uh-huh. So it's really moly on his skin. It's uh-huh. good to take internally. Um, and it makes our soaps lather uh, much smoother and less drying. Uh-huh. So anyways, it was like, you know, our, we got in a huge fight with the DEA and had to, <clears throat> you know, just had to beat them in Ninth Circuit Court. And that was my first kind of really stressful, intense activist deal. Well, what went down? I mean, how, how hard was the fight? Well, I mean, technically we were going to go to jail if we didn't win. But um, actually Ryan's uh, uh, partner, Adam Eidinger, like we, we met up at that point and um, we actually organized D- the DEA taste test. We served DEA employees around the country, hemp foods and and uh, poppy seed bagels uh-huh. invited the media out uh-huh. so i was in front of the dea headquarters you know serving on poppy seed bagels and uh-huh. and hemp bread and yeah so you know and they're to, know, to prove what uh did you know, they know yeah well you know they didn't generally eat it but <clears throat> yeah they know yeah <clears throat> they know how absurd it is and how yeah. ridiculous it is but for them you know the whole you know cannabis prohibition is a, such a house of cards and anything that exposes the lies that it's built on whether that's industrial hemp or medical marijuana, you know, they're frantic about, you know, fighting it. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, you know, it goes back, I think, to the war on the hippies and the puritanical kind of culture. I think just like freaked out with the, you know, the, the 60s, you know, if you're on the other side, was just this horrendous, you know, disaster. It was a, it was a threat to all and, order. And cannabis symbolized, yeah. you know, so it's nothing just, with you know that hippie the right, whole crisis right. of the 60s and like that generational fight is playing out you know now it's starting to resolve right now we're finally winning and yeah moving moving on but it's still you know i think it's you know you just got these drug warriors from that generation that that's holding right. on that's right and yeah. then it's interesting too because i uh, from my understanding of it that the success or the potential success of the hippie movement and the sds and uh, and the 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 real perceived threat uh, that I read, uh, I think it's called the Powell the Powell Doctrine or the Powell something was I think at the time that the the masters of capitalism, it, you know, it wasn't a social issue. It, they really at some point thought that these guys were going to make the country socialist. That the right. hippie ideology was going to spread and it was going to become a threat to capitalism. And and it makes perfect sense if you if you you know follow the money. That you know that's what they're really afraid of is right. is is capitalism being any way threatened. And that was the fight that they agreed to fight for the rest of of time was that there can never be an attack on capitalism. It wasn't about democracy or social issues. That became the the face of it. Right. It was really about like the we economics. can't let, right, right we can't let these fucking hippies start farms and you know we got to have Monsanto you know which goes back to the Monsanto thing and the small business and the small farm and organic farmers is that you know cap it's all about money. 
Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because you look at the origin of marijuana prohibition, and it was really, I mean, it was, I mean, it was the economic threat that Mexican immigrants, you know, posed to you know white Americans and their jobs, and uh-huh. you know, so so you know, demonizing the weed that you know that was the proxy uh-huh. for the main the economic. Uh huh. You know. Yeah, it, it all comes back to that. And, sure. You know, somebody's got to take the action, whoever it's going to be. You know, to provoke the conversation and challenge the exist, existing order. Wait. Yeah, and 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 coming from the city, I mean, the whole political theater. You know, we I, I got arrested in 2010 digging up the DA's lawn, um, planting hemp seeds. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was like really good. You know, got a lot of good attention. And actually, at the same time, we yeah. discovered that the uh, Pentagon was sited on Arlington Farms. So Arlington Farms is the USDA's own test farm for growing out different strains of hemp. Uh huh. Where the so the Pentagon got built on top of the government's own hemp fields. You think they did that on purpose? Uh, I don't know. I probably not. But I mean, how mystical do you get with that shit? Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, it's yeah. just one of these. You know, like the the joke, the spiritual, you know, humor of God. I don't know. What yeah, it, no, no. Know. But I mean, like you know, it, it's weird because if you are you know even slightly conspiratorial in your thinking, uh, if you're going to go with the the mystical bent and really think about the Pentagon, uh, the pentagram, right. uh, the power of the pentagram, and then now you're saying that was built over a hemp field. I mean, you know, not that it has any specific meaning, but you could certainly read into it all you want. That's a rabbit hole you should stay out of. <laughs> I think it's a very impractical mental rabbit hole. So when you say, uh, uh, you know, uh, like political theater, all right, so you, you're, uh, you're, you're planting hemp in front of the DEA guy's house. Like they, they, that seems to be pretty effective in terms of, of making people understand issues. Like if issues are not, you know, like if people can't quite wrap their brain around a cause or they don't want to get involved, if the, if the political theater is effective enough or funny enough or dramatic enough, it is a way to deliver a message. How, how much of that kind of stuff have you done in your life? Um, yeah, I guess a few times. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I guess the very first time I locked, I got, uh, we blocked a courthouse up north, uh, in I think 2003. Up um, north where? Um, in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, like a medical marijuana provider was going down for 10 years, you know, and, you know, it was just a total travesty of justice. And, mm-hmm. you know, we locked uh, and, and blocked this federal courthouse. And, you know, it was a super intense fight. And, um, you know, and, and I think it was a real turning point in, you know, that was the dark times of the medical marijuana when Bush looked like he was going to stamp it out. Yeah. And the movement came together and, you know, 25 of us were arrested and, mm-hmm. you know, lots of press, lots of positive. And um, anyway, so, so you know, I think people willing to, to give up their liberty and be arrested for something definitely, you know, catches attention. Yeah. And so, Did you know, you ha- And how'd that fight turn out? Um, well, he still went to jail, but I mean, the overall medical marijuana trajectory is, you know, rock solid. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's been a very frustrating process, but mm-hmm. I mean, you can see the clear path ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have you done? So on the hemp front, you know, we dug, so, you know, two years into Obama in 2010, you know, we were like super frustrated. Like, come on, you know, Obama is supposed to be this guy who's going to base policy on science and reason. And, you know, here he is perpetuating the, the, you know, drug war, especially, you know, industrial hemp. I mean, this is the total non you know, no brainer. How how can you have an, a non drug agricultural crop be treated as a Schedule One substance? Yeah, and you know, as an Illinois state senator, you voted twice for uh, you know hemp cultivation under Illinois state law. Right. You know, but then he's just not calling off the drug war dogs. You know, he's yeah. just not you know whatever. I don't know what was going on. So um, he was so, being a centrist. He was trying to placate yeah, both sides. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's just lame and, and disappointing. So yeah. you know, so the first thing we did was dug up the DA's lawn in 2010 and got arrested for that. And then, uh, and then this past year, last year, um, I built a cage and we grew out, uh, like 30 industrial hemp plants, the most expensive hemp ever grown. I had to interrupt two medical growth cycles for this guy to grow up 
my industrial hemp. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we grew it out the seed. And then so I got myself locked in a cage in a, on a trailer. Uh-huh. And I got towed into position in front of the White House. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was all like play carded, so you didn't know what was going on. And then, you know, bust out the play cards. I'm in a cage with a big PA and um, my plants. And I'm like harvesting the hemp, the hemp seeds and pressing oil. and In the cage. In the cage and yelling at Obama. I have a big sign, you know, Obama let American farmers grow hemp. You know, and just yelling, you know, why, you know, why am I, why is my family sending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to Canadian farmers in the middle of the worst recession ever? You know, this is, you know, this president again is supposed to be basing his policy on on science and reason. And this is ridiculous. And, you know, and just had, you know, just a huge crowd, you know, 15 different kinds of cops were, you know, swarming the situation. And, and this was just recently, a couple of years ago? This was June of 2012. Yeah. But, so, but now you 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 sort of like uh, because of these relationships, the free trade relationships, you've got these other products. Like it's not just uh, it's not just the soap anymore. You got shaving cream, you got coconut oil, you got hand sanitizers, you got the whole business going here. I got a good uh, a good array of swag. Yeah, no, the shaving gel I'm pretty proud of. I mean, most shaving gels in the market are just complete synthetic petrochemicals. Yeah, you know, schlock, and so this is all natural and organic, and it's You're gonna make me want to shave again. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, just you know, we're kind of branching out in the different product categories. And, and how is business? We're rocking. Yeah, we're, we're doing very well. Really? Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, and then you know, I'm on the board of Maps, uh, the Multidisciplinary Psychedelic Association. Yeah, Association of Psychedelic Studies. Sorry. Well, oh yeah. yeah what is a, that? It's a mouthful. Maps. So they're the main uh, psychedelic advocacy group. They're bringing. Um, they're formed the year MDMA ecstasy was scheduled by kind of a you know a crew of psychotherapists that have been having amazing success with MDMA as an adjunct to trauma counseling and couples counseling. And their mission is to bring MDMA and other psychedelics through FDA approval process as medicine. Interesting. Um, so we so I, I work hard on that and, and also in cannabis generally across the board, you know, just reforming Reforming the drug war generally, I mean, there's a, a, a local um, needle exchange we support here, mm-hmm. Clean Needles Now, mm-hmm. my friend Shosho runs, and, um, you know, just the disaster of the drug war, you know, where you just dehumanize, you know, addicts and, you know, instead of treating it as a health problem, yeah, you know, criminalizing it. So a lot of energy and resource goes into that and in, in kind of in that movement. That's so. amazing. So do you, I mean, do you feel, well, I mean, how often do you still do psychedelics? Oh, you know, uh, you know, a couple times a year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. just to to clean it out, just to pretty much, yeah. right? You know, get cleaned out, check in, <laughs> get your butt kicked, whatever. <laughs> so, do you feel like how often do you think about your your grandfather and his vision and and you know what he would think about what you're doing with the company? Um, yeah, you know, I have a picture of him and my dad, and uh, you know, they're pretty psyched. I I think. I mean, I do kind of you know very much. I'm conscious of standing up to their example and this amazing um, engine that they've bequeathed. Mm-hmm. And but you know their their smiles in the pictures can be you know hey right on dude and then they can be like you know hey come on man what's up dude <laughs> you know <laughs> everything's open to interpretation based on one perception at that moment yeah exactly and how's your uh, uncle Ralph doing he's good he uh, he he had a stroke unfortunately so he slowed down a bit but um you know he's uh, you know he's uh, psychologically he's you know, still, still right on. He's just kind of not like out he, there. He's not singing, you know, going around the country playing songs. And, right. Is he uh, proud of the company now? And Oh, he's and, so psyched. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it was great talking to you, David. Yeah, thanks, Mark.
That's it. That is our show. That was interesting. That was unique. That was a, a conversation I enjoyed. I, I learned things about something I was curious about for a long time, and I hope you enjoyed that. What else? What else? Get, get that uh, Get that app, uh, the free WTF app. Upgrade to premium. Do that business. Listen to everything. Get the premium content. Enjoy yourselves. Go to WTFpod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get some JustCoffee.coop over there. Get on the mailing list. I do that every Sunday. I will send you an email. Uh, you know, leave some comments if you like. Take care of yourself, all right? If I sound chipper, uh, it's because I am. I'm having a good time. Is that all right? You guys are great. All right? I'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, I'll be back home. Okay, I got to go. I have to go out to dinner. I have to get dressed. I'm going to shower. I, I certainly can't go outside naked. Boomer lives! <laughs>